Hello! So today I'm doing a solo podcast. I'm going to be diving into some psychology that has left me feeling full of life and has just really interested me. I'd love to share it. I'm going to be having a bit of a ramble. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and whether you found anything interesting or terribly unagreeable. (laughs) But thank you so much to everyone who has emailed me. It means a lot to hear your feedback. So I really appreciate that. Keeps me very motivated to just keep delivering you podcasts. So without further ado, let's dive in. Our story begins in the 1980s, where Estonian neuroscientist Jacques Pangsep... Jacques Pangsep... (laughs) I even googled how to pronounce his name and I got it wrong. I'm going to leave that in. Jacques Pangsep discovers a play mechanism in rats. Sidebar, he also discovered that rats giggle, which I thought was really incredible. Rats giggle. Yes, they do. Um, So rats play with each other. They roughhouse and they tumble uh, with both larger and smaller opponents. And individual rats win this game by pinning the other down. But here's where things got super interesting. Panksep discovered that if the larger rat wins 100% of the time, the smaller rats refuse to play with them. In fact, if the larger rat didn't let the smaller rat win a minimum of 30% of the time, then they wouldn't be invited back to play, drastically reducing the amount of games that particular rat would play in their entire life, and therefore the amount of times they would win throughout their entire lives. So what we can abstract from that is, life isn't a game, it's a series of games. And it's not whether you win or lose an individual game that determines whether you're a winner or a loser. It's how you play the game that counts. For example, if you're in a relationship and you win the entire time, you're going out with a loser. (laughs) And no one wants to go out with a loser. So you have to lose to win. And losing well is a skill every child should be taught. I wish I was taught it. It's a key part of socialising. And if a child can learn that life isn't about winning, it's about winning and losing, then this adds meaning to the losses. And if the child loses well, they can win more throughout their lives. Because they will be invited back to play more games. And this is coming from someone who has broken many Xbox controllers throughout their childhood. I was a terrible loser. And oh how I wish I had learnt this. Because this perspective is incredibly useful in stepping back and looking at your life in terms of the bigger picture. Rather than just the particular game you're playing. The particular moment that you find yourself caught up in. So even if you lose, you can win by losing well. But what games to play? 
Well, and this is when I think intuition comes into things. And to me, intuition is a guide from the universe or God or nature, whichever term you like to use, that comes to us at moments in our lives. It could be at a career change, having a kid or at the end of a relationship or even what to do at the weekend. Our intuition is there to guide us so we can live out what we call potential. Our potential is the highest manifestation of our truest self. But intuition has an obstacle. Like everything in life, nothing good comes easy. And we often, well, I know I do, mistake our fear for intuition. I'm going to read a quote from an incredibly profound book called Die Wise by Stephen Jenkinson. If you're a friend of mine and you happen to be listening, you definitely probably would have heard me and have become quite tired of me referencing him. But I will be doing a a review on his books. It's just mind-blowing. But here's the quote. Fear's voice will say, we can't let that happen. You know what it will be like if that happens. The truth is that you don't know what it will be like if that happens. The feared thing almost always is the thing that hasn't happened yet. That is where fear lives, in the not yet, the not now, the not me. Fear is full of uninformed anticipation, masquerading as heightened awareness. Fear knows enough to mobilise, stir, run and fight, but it knows next to nothing about the feared thing. Fear is not knowledge. For any anxious minds like myself, paranoia is real and can often destabilise us in moments where we feel unable to let go. been thinking about this recently the paranoia is felt in our heads along with fear and anxiety whereas our intuition is felt within our gut and it has this deeper quality to it so being able to locate and identify the difference between the two can be crucial in those moments of the unknown where you don't know what the reality of the situation is and you're trying to solve this social equation in your mind But you can't solve it. There is no way of solving it because you don't know. So it's like this incessant desire to figure out something that you can't figure out. And that is a true part of social anxiety that can cause people hours and days and months of thinking and thinking and feeling anxious and It can be terribly obstructive. But you know not to listen to fear because fear is not knowledge. Whereas your intuition is predicated on something mysteriously truthful. And I see the intuition as being you. And the anxiety being a symptom of the wounds one has acquired from the past. It's very alluring, the anxiety. It fills a part of us, 
like it's buried in our identity, but that's the trick it plays. You are not your anxiety. I'm going to read a paragraph from Neil Strauss's article on healing trauma, which I'll post in the link for reference if anyone finds it interesting. Here it is. As an overall framework for psychological healing, think of the childhood pain and shame we store and the dysfunctional behaviours and thoughts created by them as cancerous tumours attached to the heart by a short elastic cord. And when we go through intensive therapeutic processes such as chair work, we're able for a moment to pull that ugly tumour out of our chest and get a glimpse of who we really are without it. To see the difference between our authentic self and the reactive self who makes a mess of our life. However, when the process ends, the elastic snaps back and the trauma fastens once again to our heart until after a few hours or days or weeks back in daily reality, we can no longer tell the difference between our truth and our wounds. But if we stretch the elastic enough times, eventually it will wear out. And when we release it, the load it's carrying will no longer snap back into us, but instead hang outside limply, a passenger in our life, but no longer in the cockpit. So that really resonated for me. It just reinforces this, that you are not your reactive self. There's a difference between your authentic self and this, as Eckhart Tolle would say, pain body. And that's what we call finding ourself. And it comes in glimmering moments. We feel at one, we, we feel this is me. And then we lose it. And so the last part of that paragraph is so true because it's a practice. It's a daily thing. You are having to work on this to stretch the elastic back enough times until eventually it wears out and you spend more time being you than you do reacting to the situations predicated on this, this wound that you've carried and this all ties in with being able to trust yourself, I think. I think that's very important. But it's very confusing for someone who is typically anxious as they don't know which part of themselves to trust. So fine-tuning these listening tools, I think, and getting in touch with yourself is incredibly useful. But learning to trust yourself is... Oh, I know I've found that incredibly hard over the years. And no one teaches you just how damaging lying to yourself as a child is. I mean, if you were someone like me who realized very quickly as a kid that you could warp your reality. And in a way, it was easier to warp reality into anything you wanted by lying. And if you were very good at it, no one found out. Then it's likely you, you struggle to trust yourself. And that's because we've lied so many times. We've lost sight of what's true, what is us. 
And lying to yourself is damaging because one day you're going to need to trust yourself. Maybe you're waiting on a text from someone you have feelings for or you're not sure if you've left the oven on or your mum has called you five times whilst you're having a haircut. And we need to trust ourselves or our anxiety will consume us when we come into contact with the unknown. And our anxious minds, they will fill up the empty void with the worst possible outcome. And this can cause unnecessary stress and can lead to, well, full-blown panic attacks at times. And that's where fear lives, in the unknown, in the not now. And I asked myself, and this was really useful, if fear wasn't a factor, if fear didn't exist, what would I do with my life? What would you do with your life? And I realised my fear was getting in the way of me doing this podcast. I was scared of what people would think. So it prevented me from going on this journey to try and express and have conversations with people. So my intuition is what brought me here. Who knows where it will take me, but I, I know that I have to, to try and to follow. And it's very hard in today's world to find that connection with yourself, to your intuition, to oneness. There's an incredible amount of distractions, you know, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, I'm addicted to being distracted and distraction is another obstacle that gets in the way. Johan Hari, a wonderful author, says the opposite of addiction is connection. And that's what I think Neil Strauss is talking about in that paragraph, that when we become connected to something or someone, whether it's taking ice baths, jumping off planes, having incredible conversations with our friends, that's when we feel ourselves. So it's how we find that on our own when we're left with our thoughts. That's the answer, to look within instead of looking to our phones. But then I've also heard people say, we're all connected. So in that sense, a connection to the world, to others, it's, it's there. We just, at times, lose sight of it. This is why lockdown was really interesting in some ways, because so many people, they went on walks. And we were forced, in a way, to find a, a connection to the world because there were less distractions, which has had a positive impact on so many people and a devastating impact on so many people. I firmly believe we are well and truly connected and our, our actions, they, they have a direct impact on the world and everyone around us. It's like a domino effect and its reach, it seems endless to me, good or bad. We just don't see our impact directly. And this is when the faith aspect comes into it. You, you have to have faith that your actions matter to the world, even though you can't see most of the time the impact that they're having and that you play an intricate part in the functioning of society. Because we all do. And it could be as small as 
I'm a romantic, so humour me. Smiling at a shopkeeper or helping a homeless person off the streets. However big or small, the way you act in the world has an impact on the people within it. And in that sense, you have a responsibility to make sure we have a responsibility to make sure that we're benefiting ourselves and everyone around us. And that's purpose. But purpose is a choice. And just to touch upon Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, a wonderful book. It's clear to me more than ever that our freedom as human beings means we have the choice to give life purpose or not. And there is such a thing as a purposeless existence and vice versa. In fact, I think we tend to alternate between the two. You know, some days I feel purpose, other days I feel devoid of it. But then it's up to me to find a purpose for those purposeless days. So I don't live a purposeless life. Just to draw back to the beginning and Jack Pankset, just to take a step back and look at your life. Across time. That it's bigger than the moment that you're in and that you can give it purpose. For example, Frankl somehow managed to find a purpose in Auschwitz. I mean, and that was to help people and dig deep into what it means to be a human in the most hellish of circumstances. He says that without a purpose, you literally and spiritually die. So if anyone has ever suffered adversity or trauma, in that sense, we have a choice to give it purpose. Let's say you're someone who's had a very challenging childhood and you feel swamped with problems that you're still facing to this very day. If you work to become a person you respect and love, then your childhood has made you into that person. It served a purpose. And you can look back with gratitude and not resentment. And in that sense, you can't change what happened in the past, but you can change what purpose it serves. And this is the time machine we so desperately want when we feel regret. When we want nothing more than to turn back the clock and just be in that moment and do things differently. And this means we're unable to let go of the past which fuels nothing but self-loathing. And putting the above into to practice, actually acting it out has, just personally for me, allowed me to, to deepen the connection with my family. And as I learn more and more to love myself, I find the resentment I was holding towards my parents has lifted because I'm no longer bitter about the past and this has allowed me to step into the shoes of my parents and experience our previously broken family from their shoes and because of this I've had moments I'll be forever grateful for I mean asking my dad about the divorce and hearing him talk Honestly, has meant that we finally acknowledge the elephant in the room and our conversations have become infinitely more authentic. And the elephant in the room was this experience we all went through. It's a part of us. 
but we weren't ready for so many years to talk about it and express that part of ourselves, which made our interactions very resentful and passive aggressive. I realize you, you can't be resentful to someone once you truly see things from their point of view. Because you, you begin to understand that they are doing the best that they can, just like you. Everyone is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. And stepping into another person's shoes and inquiring after what it's like to experience yourself or the world from their side, it's scary. I felt my defences go up, it's vulnerable, but to truly listen means your defences have to come down. And I realised that on the other side of that anxiety is love. For you will truly see things from their point of view. I'm going to finish with a uh, story now. There's a, a guy, I got sent a video. And it's by a guy called Matthew Hussey, who's this uh, relationship, I guess you could say guru in a way. And he speaks to lots of women and there was a man that turned up to his, one of his events and his name is Roy. I'm going to put the video in the description at the end so you can watch it if you like. And Roy is asking Matthew a question. You can tell that he, he's in the dark place and he's just gone for a breakup and he's just smothered with pain. And... He asked Matthew, he says, you know, how, how can I learn to let go? Because if I don't learn to let go, then I'm just going to spend the rest of my life unhappy. And when I'm watching this man, like the first thought that comes to my mind is how brave are you to turn up at this event and ask that question? And Matthew goes on to give a really incredible answer about how we tend to cling on to the past because, well, in this example of a breakup, we, we convince ourselves that the person that we're no longer with was the person that we should have been with. But we're no longer with them. So that's not the case. And then he talks about ego and how the pain of watching or envisioning that person with someone else, it brings up that pain body, this trauma, the wounds, and it all stems from that place of we are not good enough, you are not good enough. But that's not us. And the reason I bring up this story is not because of Matthew's really insightful answers but because when I looked at Roy I thought here is a man full of love and I have the utmost faith that things will get better for him and that he's going to learn from this painful painful part of his life and he will find someone 
And then I thought, well, why can't I have that faith and that love for myself? Because we all have people in our lives that love us. And they could say a number of wonderful things about you. But I think we tend to find it so much easier to have faith for others, but not for ourselves, whether it's in relationships or in career. I, I know so many people in my life who are just so talented and who I have the utmost faith that they will get to where they want to be and that they are on the right path but I see them struggling in any blip that they go through where they have that anxiety are they on the right path so how do we have faith for ourselves just like we have faith for others Well, there we go. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I, yeah, I just thought I wanted to share some writings and things that are of interest. I really hope you found it moderately engaging. <laughs> if you have any thoughts or anything, really, I'd love to hear from you. Do drop me an email. And I'm going to continue to develop these solo episodes and thinking of new ideas to get other people kind of involved, hear their stories and just spread anything that's of use to people and just have some fun really with doing it. So thank you so much for listening and hopefully I'll see you at the next one. Have a lovely day, everyone.